Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. When a news story breaks about a major company experiencing a data security breach, people wonder who has access to the personal and financial data they have shared with that company. They wonder if they have become victims of identity theft. Dr. Andrea Seaton Kelton, an associate professor of accounting, is co-author of a research article that seeks to find out whether competing firms suffer adverse effects when that happens. We'll explore a relatively little researched area, especially given the proliferation of digital technology in our society, after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Four electric guitars built by Schneider Electric employees during a team-building exercise in September were given to Murfreesboro VA patients for music and relaxation therapy on December 3rd by the MTSU Charlie and Hazel Daniels Veterans and Military Family Center. Two guitars were given to Building 17 and two given to Building 11. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General Keith Huber, who is MTSU's Senior Advisor for Veterans and Leadership Initiatives, had delivered an address to Schneider Electric employees in September during the company's Leadership Program event. The company embraces and empowers veterans in its workforce. And graduating veterans receive their special red stoles December 14th at the Miller Education Center on Bell Street. 86 student veterans and senior ROTC cadets graduated at the December 14th commencement ceremonies in Murphy Center. Smyrna Mayor Mary Esther Reed, an MTSU alum, and town manager Brian Hercules attended the ceremony along with VA benefits staff and David Corlew, the longtime manager for Charlie Daniels and co-founder with him of the Journey Home Veteran Support Organization. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Andrea, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. You and your colleague from North Carolina State wanted to find out what happens when there's a cybersecurity breach at one firm and there is investor reaction. Let's start out with definitions of the contagion effect and the competition effect. What do those terms mean? Absolutely. So the contagion effect, the the idea is when a company is breached, that there's a spillover. The, the negative effect of that breach spills over to other firms in the same industry that haven't been breached. Um, this has been shown in a lot of contexts. So for example, in, in 2013, the target breach, other firms in the retail industry also suffered negative economic impact, even though it was just Target was breached. So that's this idea of the contagion effect. Competition effect has the alternative view, and that is that peer competitor firms will actually benefit when a when an industry firm is breached. Um, so investors might look at the other non-breach firm as being advantageous. So they're going to be better off because one of their competitors is suffering due to this breach. So under the contagion effect theory, uh, people are likely to tar all firms uh, with the same brush, even though uh, they weren't all victims of a breach. And under the competition effect, the people are more likely to go, oh, well, Target got hecked. 
now let's go try Walmart because they probably have a better system. That's right. This idea of the contagion effect, it's also called kind of guilt by association mm -hmm. um, and that everybody in the industry must be likely to have the same problem that led to that one breach. What are the standard guidelines for voluntary revelations of cybersecurity policy? You mentioned a particular organization in the paper that had set out voluntary standards that firms might follow. Well, that's right. The The AICPA has issued some guidance, um, and it's just guidance. It's just a suggestion. Um, they're voluntary disclosures. These are not federal mandates or regulations. That's correct. Um, the SEC has separate guidelines, which we can talk about in a second. Um, but the AICPA, which is the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, um, put out some guidance for firms to inform investors and other stakeholders about the extent of their cybersecurity controls. So essentially, what are firms doing proactively to either prevent a breach um, or be to be ready to respond should a breach happen? Um, and so those are just suggestions that have come out recently from the AICPA just to inform investors about what's happening in that space at specific firms. It's sort of an interesting conundrum as to how revelatory a company wants to be. To what extent would they be exposing uh, information they don't want their competitors to pick up on? Because if they expose it to their investors, they have exposed it to the world. That's right. And there's in the voluntary disclosure landscape, that's always a concern about um, what's the sweet spot with providing sufficient information to investors to help reduce the information asymmetry problem versus spilling out too much information that might give competitors an advantage. Um, and so I think that's they're still trying to figure that out, firms and regulators, in terms of what's the best practice for these types of disclosures. So what was your methodology in uh, the research that you performed? We ran an experiment. Um, so we created a hypothetical scenario um, involving a company. We can call it Company A. Um, and we gave um, non-professional investor participants who we were able to acquire through. It's called Amazon Mechanical Turk, um, where you can um, acquire individuals that meet certain criteria to participate in your, in your research or any surveys. Um, and so we set up this hypothetical scenario and gave them some brief financial information about this company A. Um, and then we asked them to give a couple judgments. Essentially, you know, is this an, uh, an, an attractive investment opportunity? And are you likely to purchase stock in this company? Um, then we provided information about the breach at the peer firm, which we can call company B. And then we asked these participants to provide a revised judgment about the attractiveness of the investment opportunity and whether or not they'd purchase the company. And then we gave them a final disclosure, which came from Company A, um, to see if, if to what extent disclosures are helpful either before or after news of the cybersecurity breach. And then again, for a third time, we asked investor participants to provide their assessment of the attractiveness of the investment and also whether they're liable to likely, excuse me, to purchase stock in the company. And what did you find out uh, with regard to whether the uh, contagion effect or the competition effect uh, held sway? Well, we found both, interestingly enough, um, but we found throughout all of our analyses that the contagion effect is stronger than the competition effect. So even though we found approximately 40% of our participants displayed competition effects, so they reacted positively 
to the news of the breach at the peer firm. But in general, the, the contagion effect far outweighed the competition effect. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Andrea Seaton-Kelton is our guest. She's an associate professor of accounting, and she's co-author of a research paper that tries to find out how investors act when there is a big cybersecurity breach at a firm. Uh, perceptions of Company A's stock changed after the initial press release went out following the quote-unquote cybersecurity breach. What was the impact of that? Well, it went both ways. <laughs> so some investors reacted positively to the announcement of the breach at the peer firm. Some investors were more likely to invest in Company A than they were before the breach announcement, and that was the, the competition effect. Mm -hmm. um, but alternatively and, and more strongly, investors reacted negatively, and they felt like news of the breach at Company B, the, the peer firm, the competitor firm, was bad news also for Company A, even though they had not suffered a similar cybersecurity breach. And they thought maybe Company A was just trying to spin the whole thing or whatever. Could be. Could be. Um, investors could also have thought that the entire industry would be susceptible to a similar breach. You see that oftentimes mm -hmm. where certain industries are targeted. Um, there's a lot of the feeling of guilt by association because the breach happened at company B. Company A probably is likely to have a breach as well. Um, I'm not clear why, yeah. um, but our evidence strongly shows that they did react negatively to company A in response to the news at the breach of company B. Yeah. And then the second press release included a reference to the company's risk management program. Did that help to uh, assuage the investors at all? What impact did that have? You know, it did. And we looked at these voluntary disclosures at two different times. Um, so we were interested in not only did the disclosures help mitigate this contagion effect, but also when is it most valuable for firms to provide these disclosures to the marketplace. Um, and we found that when firms disclose what they're doing in regards to cybersecurity controls before the breach was announced, that was helpful in lessening that contagion effect. So um, we experimented with experimentally manipulated who which participants got these disclosures and the participants that received the disclosures and so had some insights into company A and what they were doing to protect themselves from a breach, they reacted 
less negatively to the breach announcement than other investors that didn't have such information. Mm -hmm. Um, And we found a a similar effect for disclosures provided after the breach was announced. Mm -hmm. Um, They were effective, not as as effective, um, but they also help to lessen that contagion effect. Did it help when you included included in one of the press releases uh, this assertion that uh, we've done an internal evaluation and we have not found the cybersecurity infrastructure lacking? No, not more so. Um, and so what we found was just providing any information about your cybersecurity controls was effective, mm-hmm. but we didn't necessarily find evidence that this assertion, which is what you're describing, mm-hmm. um, where management says, yes, our controls are effective, that did not have any effect above and beyond just describing what controls were in place. Mm-hmm. Um, the contagion effect having more impact than the competition effect. Uh, now, I'm just a lay observer, and uh, it sort of tells me intuitively that the non-professional investor might be more prone to believe that if one company gets hacked, then all companies are vulnerable and they can't be trusted. Uh but then again, the non-professional investor probably doesn't know that there are companies that base their whole profit and loss on advising these big firms on how to take care of their cybersecurity, and that each one of those firms has a distinctly different approach. So not all these big companies are using the exact same cybersecurity procedures, right, to That's protect correct. themselves and yep. their data. That's correct. And so the bottom line is more transparency, whether your company was breached or not, can help mitigate the damage insofar as the investor perception is concerned? Absolutely. And what we what we really believe is that um, in this day and age, it's not if a company is going to get breached, it's when. <laughs> and I think most investors and other stakeholders expect that companies are going to suffer a cybersecurity breach. It's just the age we live in. And so what we think our results show is that investors just want to know that companies are doing something, um, that they are being proactive, that they have internal controls in place, that management is accountable and responsible for thinking about cybersecurity controls and implementing them in the organization, and that when they're aware of that information, then that helps when a breach does happen in the industry. And specifically in our case, they're going to react less negatively to a firm when a peer firm is breached. So it is helpful. Um, And we found that there are benefits if you disclose it either before or after the breach. So investors just want that information and it really helps their their decision making when it comes to investments. Not only to the breached firm, but to the industry as a whole. That's right. Yes. And that's what we just found so interesting about this, this idea of the contagion effect, that even though this firm didn't do anything, (laughs) they didn't suffer a breach at all, but investors still reacted negatively um, and judge that firm more negatively when there was a, a breach at a different firm. And so, it, you know, we believe that providing these disclosures can act as almost insurance-like protection for firms just in case one of your industry competitors suffers a breach. And now the um, challenge, I suppose, would be to convince the executives of these firms that more information to the consumer is better because... Uh, the instinct would be to circle the wagons, uh, even among your PR staff, and to uh, 
expose as little as possible. But investors, and after all, investors are consumers, as are we all, want to know more because it's uh, this technology is ubiquitous. People are doing their banking online. Entire bank accounts can be wiped out by a hacker, and it's a very scary thing. Absolutely. And as you pointed out earlier, voluntary disclosures from firms are not costless. Um, and so in theory, sure, our results say, yes, tell investors more, give them more information about your cybersecurity controls. But as you pointed out earlier, there there's some risk there, um, not only in terms of providing what might be um, insider information to your competitors, if you have you know best practices in place regarding your cybersecurity that you don't want to share, um, you know, it, it's costly to create and, and disseminate voluntary disclosures. Um, and so it's not an easy, as easy as it sounds possibly in the paper or in a classroom mm-hmm. um, that it, you know, these investor these disclosures should just be provided to investors. There are costs associated with it. If you're an accountant at one of these major firms that gets breached, how do you advise the executives to do the cost-benefit accounting on how much do we invest in cybersecurity versus uh, how much is too much? How much is going overboard or uh, versus the cost of suffering a breach and then having all hell break loose in the news media and among the investors? Oh, goodness. That's a complicated question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are so many factors to consider. Um, I think you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think most companies expect to get breached. They may not admit it publicly, but I would say most companies expect to get breached. Um, probably right at this minute, there are many companies that are breached and they don't know it. Um, so it's just a, it's a cost benefit analysis that has to be performed at the individual company level. Um, you know, for example, what's what's the potential cost of the breach? You know, as you pointed out, retail and, and financial industries, you know, that have consumer information that could possibly much be much more costly um, than other industries and other firms. And so, thinking about whether it's more beneficial to implement preventive controls, where you're trying to do everything possible to keep hackers out. Um, Some firms might find it more beneficial to implement um, more proactive control. So just embrace the fact that we're going to get breached, but let's be ready for it. Mm -hmm. You know, let's have our PR team. Let's have our legal team. Let's have our accountants. Let's have everybody ready to respond appropriately, not only from a communication standpoint, but also from a let's shut down and protect the system and stop the damage um, as quickly as we can. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of childcare in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, childcare providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about cybersecurity breaches at firms and uh, how investors react to them. Uh, Dr. Andrea Seaton Kelton, an associate professor of accounting, has done a uh, study with regard to whether people look at every uh, company within the industry as being guilty by association or whether they go, hmm, company A got breached, so I guess I'll go try company B. And your colleague from North Carolina State University and co-author, we should give all due credit to, is Robin R. Pennington, who is an associate professor at North Carolina State, right? That's correct, yes. Uh, when this happens to the so-called big box firms, uh, your national brands, Target, Walmart, Starbucks, name any brand that you would know anywhere in the country, they have the resources to handle the situation and maybe mitigate the damage. But if you're part of a small regional chain and you suffer a cybersecurity breach in worst case scenario, it could mean bankruptcy, couldn't it? It could. Yeah, it really could. In terms of potential litigation, potential losses, um, it could really bankrupt the firm. And, you know, even the contagion effect that we found, you know, smaller industry competitors could even be bankrupt when, you know, to your example, Target got breached because there is research that shows that all the retail industry companies suffered when Target suffered a breach. I mean, if you can hack into the DOD, the Department of <laughs> Defense, you can hack into anything. That's right. Yeah, that's right. The fact that y'all conducted the study with non-professional investors is interesting. Have you wondered what might happen, happen if you were dealing with investors who are deeply involved with and knowledgeable about Wall Street? Would it make a difference? I think it would. Um you know, Robin, my co-author, and I have, are, have always been interested in non-professional investors. And so non-professional investors are folks like you and I. We invest in the market, but that's not our job. We're not experts in investing. Right. We're not professional analysts. So we've got an IRA or a 401k. We've got a few mutual funds, but we don't sit there at the computer and do day trading all the time. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and so while we become interested in, in that population, um, for a lot of reasons, but primarily they're we're becoming more active in the marketplace. And so the percentage of the market is is, is taken up more and more by non-professional investors as opposed to analysts. And I think we can thank technology for that and we have more information at our fingertips. Um, but because we're not doing this for a living, sometimes we, you know, are a little bit biased in our judgment and decision making. And by we again, non-professional investors, I'm including myself in that group. Mm -hmm. Um, and so analysts are much more strategic about how they make judgments and decisions. They typically have um, different decision models. They're interested in more uh, detailed information than necessarily non-professional investors. So I do believe their reaction would be different. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how in this context. And, you know, back to the, again, the target study, that was all investors. So that was non-professional and professional investors. And, you know, at the aggregate level, the contagion effect was found. So, you know, even at the aggregate level, including all investors, they still punished 
competitor firms, industry firms, when Target suffered a breach. What would be some of the issues to perform research on which researchers could use your study as a jumping off point from? How can they branch off from what you have discovered and explore other issues that are related but which you did not cover? Well, a different co-author and I um, are actually doing just that. Um, and there were, we're looking at, so in this case, it was, it was voluntary disclosures that were helping to protect a company from contagion effect. And we were interested in, well, what else can companies do? You know, if, if companies to no fault of their own are suffering when their industry peers suffer a breach, you know, what, what can I do to protect myself if that happens? Um, so we're looking into a variety of different attributes right now. We're thinking about the type of executives that firms hire whether it's looking at how much IT expertise they have, um, how much experience they have, have they been associated with prior breaches. Um, there's some questions about the audit process. Um, so as I mentioned, these disclosures were from the AICPA. Um, and, and one of the disclosures we didn't study, but they're recommending is that external auditors actually come in and provide an opinion on these cybersecurity disclosures. So that's an unanswered question as well. Does does the auditor have any value add for these type of controls? Would it help mitigate a contagion effect if a company got the auditors to actually look at and sign off on their cybersecurity disclosures? Um, so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions that can be explored in, in terms of trying to really help companies figure out how do we protect ourselves from, from this contagion effect? Do you think it would be worthwhile or worth their time if they replicated your study with professional instead of non-professional investors just to see what they would do? I think so. I think all research is worth the time. <laughs> I think I think it's all interesting. Um, and I think, you know, there might be some different ways to to change the experiment a little bit that might be a little bit more appropriate for professional investors um, who, are, who are doing a little bit more sophisticated judgments, such as, you know, projecting mm -hmm. EPS and, and things like that. And just mm -hmm. to see how and whether and how a security breach would impact how, to the extent they value. How do they value a company from a more numerical standpoint? Are they going to fall prey to the contagion effect or are they going to be a bit more nuanced in their thinking? Absolutely. And also a question is, if you're looking at professional investors, are they still going to um, be stronger with the contagion effect? Or might they outweigh the competition effect? Might they see more of a kind of a benefit when this kind of things happen that maybe non-professional investors don't see? I don't know. Unanswered questions. Yeah. Do voluntary disclosures mitigate the cybersecurity breach contagion effect? It was presented at the 2019 Journal of Information Systems Conference. And uh, I take it it was published in the journal? It is. Yep. It's available online. Yes. Uh, and if uh, you don't have access to peer review journals, uh, go on Google Scholar and put in Andrea's name or the title and it'll come up. Right? Absolutely. Yes. As Dr. Andrea Seaton Kelton, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. 
To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There is no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. More than 250 tech-savvy college students will participate in the 2019 HackMT January 24th through 26th in the MTSU Science Building with Assyrian and L3 Harris leading 11 sponsors for the fifth annual event. Computer Science Assistant Professor Josh Phillips shares more. I think this year we have a very exciting event planned. We're in our fifth year of having the hackathon here. Um, we're going to probably have over 250 attendees this year, so our largest on record. Um, and so we're looking forward to that. We have 11 companies that have already signed up with us to sponsor the program so that we can have all of our students come and, and reside in our science building over this 36-hour event um, and build all kinds of technologies, whether they're web-based or apps or uh, databases, sometimes with hardware, Raspberry Pis, robotics, and all those kinds of things, um, to just get their heads into tech for a little while and learn some new tools and technologies outside the classroom and collaborate with one another, work with our industry partners so they can get a sense about what things look like out there in the field. Um, so it's a good experience for all the students. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.